Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Cattle Menu Podcast. I am thrilled to be joined by the Simple Goodness Sisters today. Thank you so much for being here. We're excited to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Of course. Why don't you guys just introduce yourself and give us a little background about how you are involved in the agriculture industry? Yeah, I'll start. I'm Venice Cunningham, and I am the farmer sister. So we have about 10 acres on the base of Mount Rainier in Washington State, and we grow a mix of herbs, edible flowers, uh, vegetables, and then we also have a couple of critters running around. (laughs) Yeah, and everything grown on the farm is intended to be used in a cocktail or non-alcoholic drink. So we are a food and beverage brand. We manufacture a line of drink syrups that you can enjoy at home. And then we also have a brick and mortar, a bar where you can visit with your friends and family, have some good cocktails, hear live music. And that space is also our production facility. And who are you? I'm Belinda, the bartender (laughs) sister. Perfect. That is such a fun idea. How did that concept, that idea come to be? It's a little bit of fill the need and a little bit of just follow the path as it unwinds in front of you. What Venice and I both previously had HR jobs at corporate like tech companies driving, you know, 90 minutes to two hours each direction in to the city each day to do our jobs. We didn't want to do that long term. We were kind of chasing a lifestyle as many people are when they get into agriculture and certainly not for the big riches that we're doing this and all other farmers I think would agree. But we wanted to do something that we could have you know, a little bit more creativity, a little bit more time with our families, make something with our hands. And we were both in that place when we had both recently had our first babies. We're sisters who have our kids two weeks apart, which is very fun. Our cousins have grown up together. But we were looking for kind of the next thing and trying to make those jobs work with kids was really, really difficult. And so I decided I was going to do a mobile food concept. I'm This is kind of the start of the food truck kind of sweep. And I'd always been into the idea of having some kind of food-based business, being a home kit. That seemed very exciting. And so at first I was going to do a cupcake truck. And then this is also when cupcakes were very big. (laughs) Um, Millennials know what I'm talking about. And then I decided to do a mobile bar. And so the mobile bar concept was brand new and I thought we could do happy hour. And I had been an event planner for part of my role at Microsoft and knew that there was really nothing of the sort that could do really exciting happy hours on the go. Um, and then I just decided to layer in there, since I was a new gardener and really loving that, that it would be farm to bar and everything would be like a seasonal menu. And so Venice had just bought the farm, which is now the cocktail farm, and was, you know, trying to like rehab the old buildings and turn over the fields that had been, you know, just like horse fields for years. And 
she was growing garlic, but she let me have a little bit of space at the farm to grow some herbs and edible flowers that I was having a hard time sourcing. And then thriftiness is, I think, a very common thing with gardeners where like you grow something and you're like, okay, but now we have to use it. You can't just waste it. Or I guess we could have fed it to the goats, but (laughs) it didn't feel right after trying to grow it. And so she suggested that these syrups that I had started making as mixers for the mobile bar could be packaged and sold both to my customers and maybe to local stores. Um, And that would use a lot more of the stuff that she was growing for me and therefore not feel so wasteful to her. So there was kind of just an evolution that went with it. And we just kept saying yes in different directions that seemed exciting along the way. And here we are. Gosh, that's a fun journey. I think the mobile bar concept even now is really intriguing because it's not like a food truck. You see a ton of food trucks, but there's not nearly as many mobile bars on the market. And I don't, I've never heard of a mobile bar that talks about the farm to table kind of concept. And it's really unique that you guys thought about bringing, I think that farm to table concept in a bar is very unique. You're probably one of the only ones, but also just the ability to work with your sister. So talk a little bit about how working with your sibling is, because typically what we hear on the podcast is brothers or brother and sister relationships. And that is vastly different than sister to sister relationships. So before we kind of dive into all the cocktails and stuff, talk a little bit about what it's like to work with your sister and to be in business. And then also one thing that you guys have already shown is you have very distinct roles in the operation. Yeah, we, so yes, we're real sisters. It's one of the most common questions we get all the time because we have sisters in our name and our, we grew up in a family business. So I think that has helped a lot to your point. Our dad runs a construction company with his brother. And so we did watch our dad run a business with his sibling and we learned a lot from that. But you're right, running a business with your sister is very different. I think it's better, honestly. (laughs) And I think the reason is because women are natural communicators. And so sometimes that can get in the way. Sometimes we (laughs) over-communicate our feelings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think like we just are able to just lay it out on the table. But then also because we're family we're also able to kind of communicate without communicating, if that makes sense. So because I have lived with her, I'm the older sister. And so because I've lived with her all but four years of my entire life, I'm four years older, I know her so well. (laughs) And that can be a good thing and a really bad thing, because obviously, if we really want to, we know exactly how to push each other's buttons. um, And we know how to make each other mad really fast and really easy. (laughs) But we also know exactly what can turn the tables and how to apologize. And we have a lifetime of learning how to apologize and come back and like have to live with each other the next day. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think transparency is like a big thing in businesses today that the more transparent you can be with your coworkers, with your customers and being honest about where you're coming from or what the priorities are for the day, things like that. We are naturally transparent as most family is. There's not a lot of like layers of communication. Like you tend to be pretty direct with your own family, right? So that piece I think is really helpful is 
there's not a lot of beating around the bush. You just kind of lay it out there and that saves a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you too, I mean, you started with one of you is the farming sister and one of you is the bartending sister. I think kind of knowing where you belong in the operation and what piece you are accountable for is one of the biggest mistakes that small businesses make. A hundred percent. Yeah, I would totally agree <laughs> with that. We that's again, it's an evolution that we're still working on because there's parts of the business that neither of us really want to belong to, right? Like <laughs> some of the operations pieces that are just kind of boring and nobody really wants that job. So there's pieces that we have to take on that aren't our favorites, but the pieces that we each do really well, we also get to like manage and, and silo a little bit so that each person can feel like they have autonomy over their decisions and their own staff that they can work with so that it's not just you with your sister all the time. That's very important to the well-being of the company. Yeah, as we grow, it's been good because there are more pieces for us to own individually. And so there is less of a honest, honestly, like desire to even put my hands in her side of the business because I have enough of my side of the business to like keep me busy. And so a lot of times when we do start to feel like the other person is, you know, a little bit micromanagey, then we'll be like, okay, do you want to take this? And then it's like, well, actually, no, just go ahead and do it how you want. <laughs> I completely understand. I feel that way. That's one of the things we're working on in our family operation is defining roles, who's accountable for what. And it makes it so much easier when you know, okay, my day ends when I finish what I'm accountable for versus always feeling like there's never ending work because you kind of are half accountable for everything. So I love that that you guys have figured out. What did your consumer say, your customer say, when you started talking about the farm to bar movement? What was their reactions? Because we know what they do in the meat space, right? But what was it like when you started to talk about locally sourcing and everything like that? How was that received? I think there's, you know, the natural adopters always who just get it from the start and love it. I think there's also people who fall into that camp and love it, but don't understand what goes into it. And consumer habits are really, really hard to change. And consumer habits are very much driven by in the drink space, maybe like what Starbucks does or what Budweiser does. and so. There's a constant challenge of communicating expectations of if we're truly farm to bar, this is what this means. Pumpkins aren't ready September 1st. Starbucks may change their menu August 27th, but in the Pacific Northwest, a pumpkin is not ripe on the vine until October. So there's a lot of education that goes into it, just like with, you know, a meat producer. There's a lot of education of explaining why it's done this way, why it's better for everyone involved down the chain. And so we, we also struggle with that. I mean, similarly to our price point is different because of this sourcing strategy, right? And so you have to really communicate the value to your customer. Some people get that right off. And then some people just need you to tell them because I think when you're in the business and when you're doing it, it seems very obvious. And the knowledge that we have about the food system is very different than the consumer's knowledge. And so it's a constant reminder to ourselves of, oh, yeah, we have to tell them that. They don't just know. That's not what people have been trained to understand from the modern market. Yeah. And similarly to the meat company, it's also reteaching people how to even drink because most people are just so used to convenience, right? So they're so used to like either having a bottle that they just open or a complete mixer that they have no idea what's in it. They don't know how it got there. But 
they mix it with some alcohol and call it good. And so and what we do is we teach people how to make craft cocktails. So it's very similar to like breaking down a whole carcass. You know, we're breaking down the drink as a whole and we're telling them and we're teaching them how a cocktail is made to taste good. And also how those extra steps pay off in the end result. And our drink mixes are intended to make these things easier. We're not asking you to go out and, you know, grow everything, harvest it. Are you trying to find the right planner to start the new year with? Look no further. We've created the Cattle Menu Planner for ranch wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking for the perfect place to capture all of their thoughts throughout the year. Our planner is the perfect guide to help you get your operation started. In the Cattle Menu Planner Paving Your Path, you will create the foundation for your operation, set goals, and learn how to implement them. We've included our customer favorite blank calendar pages so you can start when you're ready. Grab yours today at calumnyalive.com backslash planner. This is really fun because we do not get to talk cocktails on the podcast much. So why don't you tell us what actually makes a good cocktail? When people are coming in to experience what you guys are creating, what kind of sets you apart and what makes your high quality mixes and cocktails? Well, just like anything in food, it has to start from real food. So uh, we make all of our syrups only from whole berries, fruits, herbs, spices, um, and then just granulated cane sugar. We do get some people asking, like, is there anything sugar-free? And no, there's not, because that's what makes it taste good. (laughs) And you don't need a lot of it. They're very concentrated in flavor. So you're getting sometimes a half ounce is enough for, for the cocktail recipe. So it's really a small amount. But we start with those real products that go into the syrup itself for these really robust flavors. And then, and we have flavors like rhubarb vanilla bean, huckleberry spruce tip, marionberry mint, uh, lemon herb, all different kind of combinations for different times of year or different types of drinks. Some pair well with different types of liquor, but most of them are meant to be pretty much across the board. You can do it anywhere that you see like sugar, honey, or grenadine in a cocktail recipe, you can sub in syrup. Um, And then from there, like what really matters is the rest of the ingredients. Like you just have to start with good ingredients for the cocktail to end up being great. And so, you know, we use egg white in our sours instead of a foaming agent, which is something that people use sometimes. Um, We like to source all of our liquor from local distilleries, especially ones that are also like farm to bar. And then we make a really good cocktail based on the proportions. So cocktails are kind of like baking. There's very little room for error. You have maybe four or five ingredients total, which means you can't just like measure with your heart. You have to actually measure. And you're really trying to get a balance. So a good cocktail has some combination of like sweet, sour, bitter, spirit, meaning like the strength of the alcohol, and then a a good amount of dilution, which is where like the ice comes in. So this is why like a drink that, you know, Venice makes just for herself by, you know, pouring a bunch of stuff into a cup and then adding ice is not as good as one that we shake at the shop where it's actually, you know, in a cocktail shaker over ice that dilution is happening then. And then you add more ice. And so it's getting very chilled in the right temperature and it's being measured right. It just, 
tastes better. Like it's like baking. You can't just throw a bunch of things into a pie crust and think that it's going to turn out. I will also say that I am, because I grow them, I'm a giant cocktail garnish snob. I have been known to bring my own garnishes even into a dive bar. Um, (laughs) It's true. She has like a purse full of them for girls night out. (laughs) And the visual aspect of any cocktail is always like can be very, very fun and really improve the experience. But then also the scent. So rosemary is one of my all time favorite flavors. And I actually just made a cocktail the other day and I, I made it well. It was a good cocktail. And then I went ahead and like went the extra step and walked out to the garden and like picked the sprig of rosemary and put it in there. And it was just the drink truly comes alive in a way because, you know, you taste a lot with your nose and alcohol oftentimes doesn't taste or smell great. (laughs) So when you layer on that scented piece of it, it just, I do this for a living. We teach cocktail classes all the time. We talk about this all the time, but then it was like, I actually did it the other day. And I was like, oh yeah, that's why we tell people to do that because it really does (laughs) matter. (laughs) It really makes a difference. Yes. Yes, definitely. The quality of each ingredient and then mixing it fresh. That's the other difference between like, you know, complete mixers versus taking the time to measure out lime juice and this and this. The freshness of that is very different. And, you know, in order to make things food safe for the shelf, there's a lot of additives that we add to food in America. And so when you're making a cocktail and taking the time to do each piece, you're not then also having that. Or like convenience cans. Like I we drink at the lake, we pick up a a six pack of something. It's not like we never do this. We're not like total cocktail snobs, but I do miss the difference in flavor when you're drinking malt beverage, because it's a quote unquote canned cocktail, but they've really just taken the most generic alcohol made out of grain and then adjusted the percentage of it and then put it in a can with like citric acid and some like natural extracts in quotes of flavor of raspberry or something like it's not the same it's just not even close to the same and it's like thinking that a mcdonald's burger is going to taste the same as a great dryish piece of beef (laughs) yeah absolutely in your bar setting do you guys do tours of the farm like how are you incorporating and allowing them to see the whole picture well the concept of the soda shop was to be able to bring people in to the fold of the family farm in a way that is a legal <laughs> and then b is also like respectful of our family and the fact that we live on the farm So, you know, there's this like big, obvious push for people wanting to be able to like go to farms and have this whole agritourism moment. And we personally love it. Like whenever we travel, we are always looking up what farms we can visit or what kind of agricultural experience that we can have. But it's also my house. (laughs) So we're hypocrites. (laughs) (laughs) And so we are, it's something that we're actively thinking through. It took us a while to get our feet underneath us and production and having like a shipping warehouse on the farm and building out all of those pieces had to come before we can make the space pretty. I think that's another thing. A lot of people expect farms to look very different than they naturally do. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't look like a pumpkin patch, right? It doesn't look like a sunflower field. Like it doesn't look like what you 
it's beautiful. There's a lot of flowers, but there's also a lot of tools and a lot of weeds a lot of the yeah, time. We don't, and... we don't spray. So there's currently, we have a fennel lawn growing in the garden because some fennel got massively out of control. And so it's just, it's not, you know, when people pay for a ticket, you know, they come with expectations. And so we're still thinking through what that looks like, especially because, you know, we do alcohol and we certainly can do events without alcohol. Our products are great and drinks that don't have any alcohol content, but most of our people who are, you know, fans, they want to come and have a cocktail on the farm. And so that piece gets a little sticky. And Along then, with food because health department rules are... Yeah, our state is not super friendly to agritourism. Our county specifically, bathrooms, food cooking, all these things are, are pretty difficult to put in place. So we're thinking so, what happened was I had already kind of, before I even knew that we were going to go in the cocktail direction, I kind of knew that like people want to engage with their food and with their drink. And that is very def- definitely something that people are get excited about. And so just down the road from us is a very small town of about 550 people. And it had this commercial building. I knew from talking with the health department enough that being on public water was going to be much, much easier to do anything that invites the public in. And then also being on sewer would also be helpful because we're on septic at the farm. And so we found this building. It was in really rough shape. It's over 120 years old. Um, 140. But we just, we, we just kind of knew that one day we would need a commercial space. And so we bought it on a bit of a whim not knowing well, we didn't buy it well we didn't buy our it our family yeah. helped us invest in it yeah. let's be clear <laughs> we bought it with some family investment dollars <laughs> and didn't know exactly what it would morph into but knew that it would probably come in handy one day and at the time Belinda needed a catering kitchen for her mobile bar and so that's what it started out as a, a very small corner of the building was a little tiny little kitchen that she needed to satisfy some health department rules and then it kind of grew and we realized that the mobile bar was getting to be hard for our family life because Belinda was gone, her family life specifically, Belinda was gone all summer basically doing weddings and big events and bartending. And so we were like, well, what if we open this brick and mortar space that used to be a distillery and a restaurant, it could be that again. And so we like kind of dove headfirst into opening that space having no idea and having never opened a restaurant before. We both worked in, we put ourselves through college working in various restaurants and bars. So we weren't completely new to this space, but we definitely had never managed one. And no one in our family had ever done anything like that either. And so it was a big learning curve. And then in addition to that, our go live day, our grand opening date was set for May of 2020, which in hindsight, we now know was probably the worst possible date to pick to open a restaurant in modern times. <laughs> yeah. So the way that the restaurant opened ended up being very different from the way the restaurant is today. And we kind of just had to like wrap our brains around that and roll out the pieces that we could and on the timeline that made sense. For instance, our regulations, we were only to go at first. And so our menu was much smaller we had no staff. So we had a a much different layout for equipment and no separate kitchen. Like we were making sandwiches and cocktails at the same counter. But now we've really opened the restaurant that we intended to open three years later and 
communicating both like through a visual identity and through flavors and through what we feature on the menu, the farm to bar aspect and the fact that it is our headquarters away from the farm is something we are always thinking through. So we have, you know, bi-monthly special menu that we say is like fresh picked from the farm. um, And those cocktails really feature what the garden has at that time. We have huge photo of the farm blown up on one wall um, with some information about, you know, when it was established, what we grow, who we are. We have a lot of photos around the room that we're trying to bring that in. And then um, we actually made like a custom mailer box this year that has a picture of the farm as well. So we keep trying to like make it clear because we also get a lot of tourist traffic where people really have no idea. They're just stopping in because it's the place that's open for food on the way to Mount Rainier. Um, And so telling the farm to bar story off the farm is, you know, something we're always working on. I have heard owning a restaurant is incredibly challenging. I think it was Mary from Five Mary Farms who said (laughs) she owned some restaurants. Then she's like, I would never do that again. And then she ended up, of course, buying one and opening the burger house. But I think there is so much opportunity to get in front of consumers in a restaurant style where they're really there to take a moment. It's kind of like the world is paused. I mean, they're there to eat, but you have a little bit more undivided attention where you can connect and you can answer their questions, especially about what you guys are doing. And when the world thinks of farmers, they don't think of you guys, right? We picture someone in an overall with a pitchfork, like we're trying to change that narrative. But I still think that when you guys have the opportunity to like have that close connection with consumers, I mean, I can only imagine the impact it's having. Yeah, it it is. It's, it's funny. There's so many parts of that question that I can like respond to. The first thing that comes to mind is the fact that we had this conversation with Mary, like just last year, where she was saying like, it's still the hardest part of the business that she has. Because it's just so different from everything else you do. And it's so dependent on your staff. Restaurants, unlike anything else, I think that customer interface, you're not in control of it. You can't serve every customer. And yet the way restaurants are run in our country and the way prices we pay for food, you don't pay that person a lot. And they tend to be very new in their careers. And so really having somebody who can serve a meal well, but also tell your story for you, that's a hard person to hire at $15 an hour, which is our minimum wage in Washington state, which still feels high considering that I started at like 780, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that it's, it's a hard, it's a hard business to run also just because we had no idea what we were doing, you know, equipment wise, where to order things, just kind of everything. You start out with real naivety and it serves you because if you knew what you were getting into, you would have never started. Yeah, that's what they always say, right? If you could see what it was going to be like in three years, you never would have taken the leap. How do you guys balance kind of the production aspect? So the shipping, because you ship off of your website with the like immediacy of having that restaurant bar combination, because one, shipping does feel kind of immediate, right? I mean, I know all websites say like, oh, be X number of business days, but we know you get an order and you want to get it shipped. And so how do you guys kind of balance the online customer feeling versus the in-person customer? Well, that comes to our... Uh, our role division. Yeah, our role division. So I 
the farmer. Um, I do all of the stuff that happens on the farm, basically. And so our production or our shipping and our warehousing exists on the farm. And since it's my house, that makes sense. And since I'm farming, that makes sense. And then Belinda manages the soda shop. And since she's the bartender and like food and drink and recipe development and all of that is her strength and what she's passionate about, that's what she does. And so that helps a ton because the same person could not do both. No, there's no way. <laughs> and so, and then we each have staff. We don't have a lot of staff, but obviously the restaurant has staff to Belinda's point. Like we are open a lot of hours and there's no way we, we tried, like Belinda said, the first eight weeks. So we weren't actually able to open the restaurant until October. We had so many delays and then we are seasonal. This will be the first year we're not going to be seasonal. But when we opened our first three years, we were seasonal. And so we were only open for eight weeks. So we were kind of, and we had no staff and it was impossible to get staff because it was COVID. And so we opened and we worked every single shift. And I will say it was probably the worst eight weeks of my life. Yeah, that's not an exaggeration. Not an exaggeration. We set up a shipping station in like a side room because we had a side of the restaurant at that point that wasn't finished. It was just, you know, kind of. Uh, plywood floors and cobwebs on the ceiling also still. didn't have heat and, and no heat and November. we set up a shipping station over there and you know we had our little like heat guns to put on our shrink wraps and and everything and then we were still trying to like run the counter so I was running the counter and Venice was shipping and we were fighting a lot fighting <laughs> all the time all the time <laughs> And so, yeah, we have grown up and we know that we can't work the counter and that we can't do all the little pieces. And so we did hire really great staff. I have staff who helps me kind of with that daily management of shipping things, which has been a huge plate off of my table, if you will. And except she just went on maternity leave. So now I'm back to the shipping barn and doing all that and honestly relearning all that because it's been a minute since I've had to do it. And that's been huge is being in our own spaces and then having our own staff to support us that we are in charge of our own staff also. Are you wanting to start a cattle operation or learn new hands-on skills? Our team knows it's hard to find resources when it comes to learning how to vein cattle or how to brand or even what you need in your vet kit. If you're wanting to learn those skills and more, you won't want to miss this year's Profit Finder. With access to over 25 videos and resources, you can learn hands-on skills from the comfort of your own operation. We created this toolbox for any cattle producer just starting out. We went back to the basics and explained everything from the ground up. You can join the waitlist today and learn more at cattlemenulive.com backslash profit finder. Talk a little bit about how you guys do marketing, because I think that in a lot of farm to table, that's the hardest piece because you are the farmer and the bartender. And yet we know what works well on marketing is when they hear from you. So how do you guys, how did you start marketing? Kind of what are some of the things you've learned while trying to juggle your other roles? Yeah. I think something we did well from the start to your point is that we put ourselves front and center and we weren't shy about that. I know a lot of people don't enjoy that and I don't, I wouldn't say it was the most natural thing or continues to be our favorite thing, but we are willing to, you know, get on and put our faces on Instagram and Facebook. And that's really, really important. And it's 
free. So <laughs> when we had no money, that's what we started doing is just telling our story in every free way we could blogs, Instagram posts, Facebook, and, and grew those kind of audiences by showing them behind the scenes by being very transparent with them by like taking them along on the journey. So yeah, some of our, you know, most loyal customers have been with us for over 10 years, just following us. They know our kids. They know what the farm looked like when we first bought it. I mean, they've really been in it for the whole entire time. This is one of my biggest pieces of advice I give any like new farmer or somebody who's thinking about like starting something is just start now. Like you can start talking about your dreams and you, nobody's holding your feet to the fire and no one's saying like, oh, well, 10 years ago, you said you were going to do this and you never did that. They're just excited to watch somebody following their dreams. And so that is what we did before we even had anything to sell. And in fact, the cert business almost became a way to like monetize this audience that we had that we didn't know what to do with because we were already on social media. Yeah, we were just on social media sharing about like our first time having a garden and but her first time raising dairy. Goats. Also, to be clear, like we are not mega influencers. We have like 12,000 followers, but we've been doing it for like 12 years. I don't know. It's been a long time. So we have a very small number for how much time and energy we've put into it. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And I think that's the thing now too, is that there are people who started on Instagram six months ago and have as many followers as we do, because all of these channels have changed so much. And so keeping up with the changes of the channels, it can be the most exhausting and like thankless feeling thing to do. But I think especially when you're running other parts of your business that are like so much more important. It's like, okay, but we need to like set up a warehouse, you know, part of that, like growth on social media can feel slow or, you know, frustrating, but it's like, you're also running the company. So you just have to kind of do what you can when you can. And we try to do our best to stay up to date and implement new things. Like right now we're doing a huge email marketing rehaul because what we do really well is be our own authentic selves. And what we haven't done as well is like putting the technical attention into some of these things, just because the demands of the business in other areas have taken over and there isn't a marketing department. Yeah, I think that is the, that is the hard thing. We both really like marketing. So neither of us is willing to be like, no, you just take all of it. And the other also, it's a huge job. And so neither of us could take all of it. And so that is the one area that we still own together. And so it does take us a little bit longer to make decisions because we do have to make them with each other. Uh, And so marketing is still hard, but it's something that at least I'd say like we still really like it. So I think we're lucky in that way. It's the creative side of our business that we don't always get because we're in the weeds, you know, working out kinks. But when we get the time to like step back and think big picture about how we want to communicate and acquire our customers, that's like the challenge that we both like to solve. I think marketing, to me, it's my favorite part, but I agree. It is so challenging when you're in the weeds and you're thinking about packaging and you're thinking about the hours, right? On the bar and the restaurant and exactly where to order cups from. I mean, there's all of these things. And then it's like, okay, now let's flip our brain and be super creative and create an Instagram reel. And of course, we own a marketing company in agriculture. And I always tell my customers, like, there's nothing better than you showing up 
with your face on social media. Like that's going to be the best way to sell your product is consistency. So if you hire a company, like figure out how you can be a team versus handing it off. I see a lot of companies, probably your size that say, okay, we're going to hire a marketing team. And they almost like hand it all off. And then in three months, they're like, why is this not working? And I'm like, because you are the market. You have removed yourself out of the marketing. And it's really hard because you have to get them to sound exactly like you and look exactly like you and all these things that are just not replaceable. And so it's amazing that you guys are still juggling that because I know it's the best way to market, but it is also when everything's on fire, it's hard to sit down and be like, okay, now we're going to be really creative and think of this cute Instagram caption. I mean, hard for and me even just like even just do your hair like you know like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's part of it is like part of the authenticity we bring to Instagram is because there's no other choice I'm not getting up and getting beautiful every day to be on social media and the accounts that are what I've noticed is most of them it's like they don't have a business outside of this social media account right they are influencers it's an entirely different thing than being your own face of a brand that manufactures things, has restaurants, you know, sells other things. Like it's very different. Or they're just really beautiful people. Or they're just gorgeous. (laughs) I mean, God may be pretty, but not that pretty. I just, I have just had to learn to be, do what you can when you can and what feels good. And there's a lot of trends on social media that have come and gone in the last, like, I mean, this is even just the last two years. Like social media has changed so much since TikTok, right? So there's a lot of things that you feel like you should be doing or like for consistency, you should do this. And there's a million reels being served to us that say what to do. And I did a reel the other day with like my hair wrapped in a towel covering my tomatoes in my garden because it was going to rain. And, and I'm just like, that's the point I'm at with social media is like, you know, no F's given. Cause it's just, I don't have the time to, to make this like beautiful thing. So like, I'll just find customers who value the fact that I'm being as real as possible. (laughs) Also, the thing that I always try to remind myself when I get into that mind rut of like, this is hard and like, this is taking time away is that if you don't show up for your customer on social media digitally, then like you have to invite them to your farm and let them show up for you. And that is way more work and way less exciting to me than letting them see the farm through their phone. And so I think that always kind of reframes it for me, or I have to go meet them, you know, at some bookstore, or I don't know, like I have to go actually be somewhere in person and social media, I can just be at home and turn my phone around and talk for a minute and like show up for them in a way more convenient way than honestly, you used to have to do. And so I guess, you know, you can have gratitude for it at that point. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you guys are doing a phenomenal job. It is fun following you guys and watching and you balance it all and show the behind the scenes. So let's get into the rapid fire questions and you both can answer each one of these. Um, Okay. First question. What is your favorite cut of steak and how do you like it? Oh, I have one that's really random. It's a culotte. Our butcher introduced that one to me and I love it. It's like a happy medium for me of like size and he cuts them pretty, pretty thick, which I really like. I give it to my grandma um, recently and she was like, that's the best steak I ever had. I was like, well, maybe it's just good because someone else cooked it for you. But 
I like flank steak and a taco. <laughs> okay, great. I love flank steak. That's what we're eating tonight for dinner. Yeah. Um, what is an ag industry topic that you think needs talked about more in the general media? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I think, well, our area is a little bit specific, but I think a big part of it is that uh, to your point where when we think about farmer, we think about a certain look of person, but we also think about a certain operation, right? We think about big tractors, we think about big ag normally. And I think that something that needs to be talked about is like how to make small farms exist <laughs> and work and that's something that we are obviously very passionate about because we're on 10 acres, we're tiny, and we are just about an hour south of Seattle. So our housing and our land prices are insane. And so you really have to diversify and you don't get to just, when you are farming where we're at, you don't just get to farm. You have to have all of these other revenue streams. And I think that's something that's not talked about a lot in the agriculture area is like how many different, I mean, a lot of people have other jobs. I don't think a lot of people understand that like most farmers are working their farm and one or two other jobs at the same time. I think that's the piece that needs to be talked about more is what are farmers doing to like exist and stay alive in this country and especially in pockets of the world where it's not really big ag and in states that don't have the ag policies that are supporting them because they're such an economic driver of their state. Absolutely. I'm just going to piggyback on all that. <laughs> Plus, it was not okay. rapid fire. That was long. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Hmm. I'll just do the first one that comes to mind, which is a sign that I have in my house. And it's Dolly Parton, my hero. So um, it's find out who you are and do it on purpose. And I think the do it on purpose piece is the biggest one of that. I think of it as like, don't do it halfway. Do it all the way and like, do it with your whole heart. And mine, I think, is from our poppy, our nanny and poppy were named the farm after our nanny. And he, you know, when he was speaking at her funeral, he also, he talked a lot, but he talks a lot like us, but he talked about how the best investment he ever made was in his family. And I think that's a big one is like invest in your family. And when you're thinking about your business, think about investing in your family and like all the investments that you make into your business may come to an end, but it's at the end of the day, it's like your family who takes care of you when you're dying is why he said that's the context that he said it in is that he had eight kids and it paid off. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, this one's kind of fun. If money was no object, what is your dream non career job? Non career job? What do you mean by that? So some examples have been like a quilter, full time quilter. Someone said they wanted to be like, one of the ranchers said they wanted to be a high-end steak restaurant server. Someone said work at a coffee shop. Like, what little thing in life do you think sounds fun, but not as a career, more just like, wow, that would be really fun to try? I think mine, mine's easy. I would be a gymnastics coach. I have been a gymnastics coach. I still coach for my daughter's team. It pays like almost nothing. So it's not something that I can do like full time all the time, but I really thoroughly enjoy it. 
I would make cider. It's it feels lame because it's so adjacent to what we already do, but I would love to have a cider orchard and and make cider. I think those answers are perfect. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. We'll be sure to put all of your social media and all of your websites. I saw on your website you have like a mix and match deal. So I'm going to encourage all of the listeners to go on your website and put in an order. And in the maybe there's a little note section they can write that they heard you guys on the podcast, which would be really fun. But thanks for spending time with me today. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was very fun. And there is a note section. Yeah, that would be awesome. We'd love to hear from everyone. <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks again for listening to the Kettle Menu Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember, the grass is greener where you water it.